It's good to worship God and sing praises to him together, isn't it? We want to remind you before we pray that uh, we do, part of our worship is taking an offering, giving of our gifts, giving of our finances, giving of, our, of ourselves to God is, uh, is all part of our worship. So we, we do have a place for offering in the back, what we can do together better. Uh, so uh, that's back there. And um, let's just pray as we continue to worship. Father, thank you that you love us. Thank you that you call us your child. You adopt us into your family. When we ask you to forgive us and to, we give our lives to you. you, you give us a new identity. You give us life in you. We thank you so much. Please just uh, bless the rest of our morning together as we look into your word, as we um, ponder together what it means to be your child. In your name we pray, amen. Children, you can be dismissed at this time. I'll be back with Pastor Chris. And while they're doing that, if the rest of you can grab your phones, iPhones, or if you're online, your iPads or whatever, and uh, go to mint.com. Their Q code will come up here, and you can just point your, if you have a, a phone that's capable, you can point your phone up at that and grab the QR code. But if you aren't, you just go to menti.com and then you can type in that code and I'll give you just a couple seconds to uh, load that up and I'm gonna ask you a few questions and you can respond whether you're online or whether you're in the room you can share with us what your thoughts on some of these questions are there's no right or wrong question answer uh, so um, be clean and be kind and appropriate but uh, otherwise there's no uh, I'm not looking for something specific so Everybody got that up on your phones if you have a phone, or if you have a neighbor with a phone, you can uh, tell them, hey, can you put this up? And they can, they can actually type in two responses or three. So uh, if you take us to the next slide, the first question will pop up, <clears throat> and it'll come up on your screen, and you can answer. Uh, maybe the next, there we go. The thing I remember about my mom is, and there's a response up there already, a wooden spoon. <laughs> she stirred those pots a lot, didn't she? Oh, man. <laughs> Cooking, care, communicative, communicative overly. <laughs> Keeping me safe. <laughs> Loud whistle, don't eat ant poison. Oh, Somebody had problems with ants, eh? Okay. Family dinner. That was pretty good. Supportive. Oh, we got a blank screen there. That might come up in a minute. Um, loud. Yeah, moms had a way of really making themselves known, don't they? Children first. Quick to anger. <laughs> Cooking with lots of butter. Garden, gardening, those are good. All right, you can keep sending those, but uh, fun attitude, busy, always on the go. Moms are pretty special, aren't they? So the next question, we'll get a little more on what you think. Uh, if you throw the next question up there, 
Describe yourself in one word. <laughs> Tired. Wow. Yeah. Happy, generous, humble. That's good. Enthusiastic. Busy, loving, humble. So whoever put humble down, that's interesting. <laughs> it's kind of fun to watch those come up. Meh. Somebody's just meh today. <laughs> okay, so the next screen is, uh, did you describe yourself with a who response or a what response? So just think about that for a minute. Did you describe yourself by who you are or by maybe what you do? Interesting, hey? The who's are trying to catch up with the what's, but we tend, to, we tend to describe ourselves by what we do, don't we? Yeah. I didn't know if that's how this would turn out, but I had, a, I had an inkling, so that's interesting that it... And, and the other can be anything else, like uh, maybe you don't know which one or whatever, but... Uh, okay, the next one. Throw the next screen up there. What do you think about more? who you are or what you do. Ponder that for a minute. Very similar to the previous slide, hey? This one's even more different. More what you do. All right, last slide, last interaction here before we jump into the Bible. Which do you think is more foundational? So do you think it's more foundational who you are or is it more foundational what you do? Like, which one is the, the, the first, the more foundational starting point? Hmm. Isn't that interesting? Wow. A little different than what we think about or how we describe ourselves. Well, the, today's passage wrestles with these kind of questions a little bit. Jesus goes to his hometown, to the place where people knew him growing up. They spent time with him, watched his family, interacted with his family, and he interacted with the, the people around him. And now they're hearing about what he's doing. And instead of affirming him, instead of being excited with him, they're offended because they thought they knew who he was. They don't remember him as anything special. And it wasn't that they were opposed to what he was doing as much as they were opposed to who he was. His, the source of his power and everything being him, his identity. Before this passage in Mark that we're going to read today in chapter 6, we, we haven't heard anything about Jesus' background. It doesn't talk about where he came from, his family growing up. We don't learn much at all about him except that he's from Nazareth. Mark starts the book, chapter 1, verse 1, the beginning of the good news about the Messiah, the Son of God. This overarching title, this is who he is. But then he goes into a prophecy from Isaiah and he talks about John the Baptist. Chap verse 9, he finally gets to Jesus, but all he says about his background is he's from Nazareth. So we don't learn anything about him from the introduction. No pedigree, no background. And then the only other time before the passage where we get to today about his background 
is in chapter three when uh, Jesus' family, they hear about what he's doing and they think he's crazy and they come to take charge of him. They come probably from Nazareth to Capernaum to, uh, to, to get him and to bring him back likely to keep tabs on him. And so our, our, our understanding of his background so far is, is pretty negative. In fact, even when they came, they came and Jesus was inside with people around him who were wanting to be with him and they are like, tell Jesus we're here. They're on the outside and Jesus looks around and he says, this is my family, my brothers and sisters and mother. And so he redefines who's in and out by how people respond to him. So we don't really have a very positive view of his family, his background at all up to this point. And now we get to him going back to Nazareth for the first time. So let's start reading chapter 6, verse 1. It says, Jesus left there and went to his hometown, accompanied by his disciples. When the Sabbath came, he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were amazed. Mark doesn't tell us why Jesus went to Nazareth. Just like he didn't tell us why he crossed the lake or came back, he just tells us what happened. And... Now, he tells us that he decides to go to Nazareth. Uh, he has been focusing on the region around the northwest side of the lake, around Capernaum. He said to his disciples in chapter 1, verse 38, that, that his mission was to preach the good news to the surrounding villages. So now he decides to go 25 miles southwest of Capernaum to his hometown of Nazareth but it's not just a family visit. He's not just going to catch up with his family and his friends. It says that his disciples are with him. This is a ministry trip. He's going to preach the good news that the kingdom of God is near, what he's been preaching through all the villages he's been to. And he was going to Nazareth as an as a itinerant rabbi. A rabbi is someone well-versed in the scriptures who had followers. An itinerant means he went from place to place speaking his message, making his message known. And so he was going to Nazareth, his hometown, as an itinerant rabbi. And as a visiting rabbi, the synagogue would invite him to speak. And so he goes on the Sabbath and he speaks in the synagogue. And of course, people are amazed at him just like they have been all along. Wherever he's going, people are amazed by his teaching, by his wisdom, by the source of his authority. And we, we should not forget how difficult this would be to, to amaze people like that because there was a lot of itinerant rabbis. People heard it from a lot of different voices. So he stood out. He was head and shoulders above anybody else by, by what he spoke. His authority and his power came out and people noticed and they were amazed. However, their amazement didn't bring the hoped-for response that, that, that he would want. Look at the rest of verse 2. Where did this man get these things, they asked. What's this wisdom that has been given him? What are these remarkable miracles he's been performing? Isn't this the carpenter? Isn't this Mary's son and the brother of James, Joseph, Judas, and Simon? And aren't his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. So the people that knew Jesus, family, the community that he grew up in, 
They, they hired him to work for them. They, they helped his, his family in difficult times and his family helped them in difficult times. You know, the people that he grew up with and knew for 30 years. When these people who think they knew who Jesus is, when they hear about his miracles and then actually hear his unique, authoritative, true wisdom that comes out of his mouth, they don't question the wisdom. They don't question that he's doing miracles. They question him as the source of all of that. They question his identity. Who is this man? Where did he get these things? Isn't he the carpenter? He didn't receive any formal training. He didn't study formally under a rabbi like you're supposed to. He didn't go to the right university. He didn't get the right degree. He doesn't have the proper credentials. Notice that they weren't denying the wisdom of his teaching. They weren't denying that he was performing miracles. It wasn't the work of Jesus. It wasn't what he did or what he said. It was who he was. All these questions have to do with who he was. Isn't this the carpenter? This word for carpenter is actually broader than our understanding of carpenter. We think of working with wood, and it included that, but it could also be stoneworking, building ships, uh, sculpting. <clears throat> the basic idea that it was that it was someone who makes things. There's likely nothing more to the question than just, isn't this the Jesus, you know, who made those tables for the restaurant over there? Isn't this Mary's son, another who questioned to the people of Nazareth, there was nothing extraordinary about Mary. She was just one of the women in the community. They didn't even mention her husband, Joseph, which actually says a lot because normally a son would be identified by his father. So either it, he was not living anymore, but even then they would probably still identify him that way, probably just as likely and as, as probably even more likely is that they were kind of questioning his legitimacy as Joseph's son, which would have been offensive, which would have been another way to disgrace or discredit him. And then the, the mention of his brothers and sisters was just another way of saying, you know, he's just one of the guys, just one of the kids. Several years ago, there was a, a TV show that my wife and I watched one night, and it was about, it was uh, uh, one of these uh, reality TV shows where they took people that wanted to be comedians, stand-up stand -up comics, and to make it. And so they had this reality show to see who would be the best stand-up comic. And there, as expected, there were some awkward people. There was uh, a really kind of not-so-clean person. And so be right before we were about to turn it off, the, the camera switched to another face that, that was going to be coming up. And as I looked at this face, I'm like, that's John. I know, I know this guy. I, I went to school with him. It was really weird because this was this, this national broadcast, NBC station, where, where people from all over the world could watch. And, and, and he was this guy that I knew. I had wrestled with him. He was on my wrestling team. He, uh, he, he was a little older than me. He was a decent wrestler, but there was nothing, anything really special about him. And, and so I, I, I was like, he's just one of the guys. It was really hard for me to, to believe that now he was this national celebrity, especially because he went on to win this whole competition. Jesus was just one of the guys. He was nothing special. He went to the same playgrounds. He went to the same schools. You know, he did the same stuff as the kids in the town. 
The people from Nazareth couldn't get over the fact that this Jesus they knew was the rabbi that they had heard all about and even seen and heard his wisdom. Isaiah 53.2 is an Old Testament prophecy about Jesus, and it's written years before he shows up from Nazareth. And listen to what it says, especially the second half. It says, He grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him, nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. It's amazing to me how the response of the people from Nazareth affirms the truth of this, this prophecy about him. There was nothing special in his physical appearance that he would stand out, nothing majestic or beautiful that would attract us to him. He was just one of the guys. Isn't that Mary's kid? You know, the carpenter who built that stuff over there? What's so special about him? The English proverb, familiarity breeds contempt, was proven true by the people in Nazareth. Because even after hearing the miracles, or hearing about the miracles and seeing and hearing the wisdom coming out of his mouth in their own synagogue, the end of verse three says they took offense at him. The Greek word is scandalizo. You can hear our our English word scandal in there. And it means to cause to stumble, to cause to fall away or to offend. You get the, the sense that their reaction was really quite negative towards Jesus. And their negative reaction, their refusal to believe him, his unique identity, the source of his wisdom uh, that they're amazed at, they're offended by who he was claiming to be. If you've been tracking with us in our study of Mark so far, you might, might even be able to guess what's coming next. The question that Mark keeps raising for his readers to contemplate, to ponder, who do you say Jesus is? Who do you say Jesus is. And in a couple more chapters, chapter 8, verse 27, Jesus will explicitly come out and ask his disciples, who do people say that I am? And the disciples, they respond and they say, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and still others, one of the prophets. And Jesus looks at them and he says, what about you? Who do you say I am? That's the question that Jesus brings out is so important to him and Mark is bringing it out to his readers. Who do you say he is? Mark has been very action-oriented up to this point. He hasn't focused so much on what Jesus has said but more on what he does because he does what he does because of who he is. He wants us to know who he is and he can only do what he does because of who he is. Who do you say I am? So far, we've seen him, him to claim power, over authority, power and authority over demons, disease and sickness, even death. We've seen him put himself on par with Almighty God uh, by forgiving someone's sins. He calls himself the doctor of sinners, the bridegroom of people, the light of the world. And he's called himself the son of man and even claimed to be Lord of the Sabbath. Who do you say he is? This would be really hard news to accept if you've known him growing up uh, as a human child in an ordinary place, in an extraordinary place like Nazareth. But instead of looking at the evidence, instead of accepting what they've actually seen and heard him do, they take offense. They, they won't accept him. They won't put their faith in him. 
and their lack of faith becomes a stumbling block. Let's look at verse four. Jesus said to them, a prophet is not without honor except in his own town, among his relatives, and in his own home. He could not do any miracles there except lay his hands on a few sick people and heal them. He was amazed at their lack of faith. The last verse is surprising. So far, people have seen and heard Jesus and they've been amazed by him. Even here in his own hometown, they're amazed by him. He says what nobody else says. He does what nobody else does. He, he surprises, he delights, and he terrifies. People are amazed at him, and now he's amazed at them. I had to ponder this for a little bit. There's only one other place recorded where Jesus is amazed by people, and that's in Luke 7. Jesus is approached by some Jewish friends of a centurion commander. A centurion was a commander of many people. He had authority over many people in the Roman military, but he was also under authority of many levels. The centurion's request was for, the, for Jesus to heal his servant. So his friends, his Jewish friends, go and ask Jesus. And Jesus, just like he did with Jairus, he doesn't question, he doesn't judge, he doesn't condemn. He just goes, he responds to people. And he goes with the people. And the centurion finds out that he's coming, he sends more friends, he says, no, no, I didn't expect you to come. Just say the word and my servant will be healed. And Jesus says in Luke 7, 9, he says, uh, this is what it says, when Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. And turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I have not found such great faith even in Israel. In Luke 7, it's, Jesus is amazed at the faith of the centurion. In Mark 6, he's amazed at the lack of faith of the people in Nazareth. It seems there's one thing that amazes Jesus, and that's human faith. Either the faith of someone that's not expected to have faith, or the lack of faith of people who would be expected to have faith. I don't know about you, but I'd rather be like the centurion someone who surprises Jesus because it wouldn't really be expected that I'd have faith, but I have it anyways. So, our passage in Mark 6, we see that it is the lack of faith of the people in Nazareth that causes them to take offense at him and to keep Jesus from healing people. Now, I want to make sure to point out that it wasn't that Jesus could not heal people. It wasn't that he was not able to heal people. Again, he responds to people. And so he limits himself to respond according to how, or to, to work according to how people respond. He did heal a few people. It seems that there was some faith in Nazareth. And maybe it was that these people are so sick, so suffering, that, that they are willing to put just this little bit of hope and trust that Jesus would heal them. And whether their faith is small or great, Jesus responds and he heals them. In verse four, Jesus said, a prophet is not without honor except in his own hometown, uh, own town, among his relatives and in his hometown. This is actually a common proverb of the day. Jesus quotes it. And notice that it goes from broad to narrow. A prophet is not without honor. 
people hear and see and experience and they're, they're honored everywhere, except in his own town. People can't accept it. Even in his relatives, more narrow, they reject him. And even in his own home, people reject him. Being close to Jesus, seeing his miracles, hearing his teaching, even growing up with him is no guarantee of faith. People always have a choice. And Jesus respects our choice. We saw the centurion who would not be expected to believe amazed Jesus with his belief. And then we saw the people in Nazareth who would be expected more to believe reject him. They may amaze Jesus without, with their unbelief. Jesus can be the precious cornerstone stone on which we have a strong faith or he can be the stumbling block that offends people. The choice is up to us. What are we going to do with Jesus? Who do you say he is? Many of us want a clear sign from God. We want concrete proof that he exists. We want, we want him to speak to us in our way of seeing the world and just make it really clear. The people of Nazareth, they couldn't, they couldn't bring themselves to believe that the man who was doing the miracles, the man who was teaching such amazing wisdom was only Mary's son, was this insignificant carpenter, just one of the guys. If he was somebody more interesting, from somewhere more extraordinary, more different and unique than them, then they might believe. But that's what's so amazing about our God. He loves us so much that he humbles himself to a lowly birth from a lowly town, insignificant family, insignificant town, ordinary. He identifies with us so closely, even to the low. Like he wasn't born majestic, he was born in a lowly place. He identifies with all of us. Apostle John says in John 1.10, he was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. Even though he went to great lengths to make himself understandable, his own town, his own relatives, his own family were not willing to accept him. One commentator sums it up really well. I want you to listen to this really carefully, okay? Humanity wants something other than what God gives. The greatest obstacle to faith is not the failure of God to act, but the unwillingness of the human heart to accept the God who condescends to us in only a carpenter, the son of Mary. I'll read that again because it's so good. Humanity wants something other than what God gives. The greatest obstacle to faith is not the failure of God to act. It's not the failure of God to act. It's the unwillingness of the human heart to accept the God who condescends to us in only a carpenter, the son of Mary. Who do you say Jesus is? One of the invitations for us this morning is to ponder again who Jesus is the almighty son of God who loves us so much that he'd be willing to humble himself, to the, be completely humbled, to be not only human, but the lowest, in the lowliest of humanity, a normal, ordinary baby, lowly family, a commonplace town, 
so that he can completely identify with us and then die for us in our place, what we deserve. If you've not asked him to forgive you and if you've not given your life to him, your invitation is to do that today. Admit that you need him. Ask him to forgive you of all your guilt and your sin and your shame. And he will. And he will give you a life that is full of purpose and meaning and joy and a lot of suffering, but hope and life for eternity. Another invitation is to realize that because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us, if we've accepted his gift of forgiveness, if we've given our life to him, we've received salvation from separation from God forever. And he gives us a new identity. He welcomes us into his family with the one and only perfectly good father. He makes us into someone special a beloved child of God. This new identity is something really special for all of us, and especially for you moms on Mother's Day. Jesus did what he did because of who he was. He didn't earn his status. He was who he was, and he did out of who he was. If we put our faith in him, he makes us a child of God. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to prove it. We don't have to... Uh, work hard for it. We just have to accept that he's given it to us because we've accepted him and trust him. It's because of who he is that he did what he did and he's make that, he's, he makes us who we are. The who comes first. We're children of God, moms, and all of us. So many of us have so much pressure to do, to perform, to prove to earn. A lot of that's put on from the culture around us. A lot of it might be put on by your family, but most probably by yourself. You put it on yourself, but you are a child of God. He gives you a new identity. You're a child of God. You can rest in that assurance that you don't have to prove it. Just be a child of God. You are loved. Come to him for strength and to come to him to find comfort. Come to him for courage and then from this renewed identity that he gives you, you can act. The who comes first. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for Jesus. Thank you for your love for us, that you loved us so much that you would identify with the lowliest of us. And that's really hard for us to accept because we want something totally different. And the fact is you are totally different. You're so much greater. But you still chose to identify with us and become one of us so that we could understand you. Help us to recognize who you are and that because you did what you did, because of who you are, we are yours. We are secure. We don't have to prove ourselves. We don't have to earn it. We don't have to try hard enough. We have it. We have status as your child, and we can live from that. God, that's hard to accept. It's hard to do. Help us to do that. In Jesus' name we pray.
Amen.